Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture. I'm Robert Bounds. Think of the memorable scores that underpin any of the blockbuster films of the past four decades and there's a high chance that the man responsible is the German composer and music producer Hans Zimmer. Zimmer is known for his ability to blend a score seamlessly into the drama shown on the screen and simultaneously help to drive both the film's plot and gently, expertly choreograph the audience's emotional response. Over the years, this talent has been recognised with a slew of awards for Zimmer, including four Grammys and two Academy Awards for Best Original Score. Those Oscars were for The Lion King in 1994 and more recently Dune in 2021. Well, that epic science fiction franchise now returns to the cinema. Under the direction of Denis Villeneuve, Dune Part 2 continues the story of Paul Atreides as he joins forces with the Fremen in their fight against the House Harkonnen and the Emperor Shaddam IV. You've been fighting the Harkonnens for decades. Look! My family's been fighting them for centuries. Your blood comes from dukes and great houses. Here, we're equal. What we do, we do for the benefit of all. I'd very much like to be equal to you. Maybe I'll show you the way. Yet again, the soundtrack is unique and otherworldly. Like the vast, sandy expanses of Arrakis on which Dune is set, it is sonically gigantic. Fresh from the excitement of the Dune premiere, I caught up with Hans Zimmer ahead of the film's release. Hans, lovely to see you today. Thank you very much. It's (laughs) lovely to see you today, even though yesterday was like, whoa, it's like we were running a marathon. Right, you know, talking about the talking about the film. But to, well, talking about the film, and I mean, look, I've done a few movies and I've been to a few premieres at Leicester Square. Yeah, but I've never seen anything like it. Yeah, I mean, it was the amount of people and the the amount of stuff you know they had done. It was truly. A, it's a, a film, a I guess, that deserves that amount of razzmatazz. It is. It's grand. It's huge. The score you provide is a thing of subtlety and largesse as well. So you f- you fit right in, Hans. But, Your work but, fits no, right but in. No, you, but you, ha- you have to realise <laughs> that this is sort of a like a bit of a shock to the system. And Denis and I were talking about this because when we work, we work. We're such good friends. Mm-hmm. Let's start there. Mm-hmm. Everybody involved in this is you know friends with each other, and we're just there to support each other. Joe Walker, our editor. Yeah. And I worked at the BBC in 1988, you know. So, I mean, you know, we go back, you know. And and, and, and so, so it's... You're, there's still a desk at the BBC somewhere with your initials carved in the top, right? Actually, I got fired by the BBC for go, Let's going, not go over, there. going over budget. It happened. By the way, it was £278. Um, so, um, I remembered. Oh, so do they. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no, it was a funny thing because, you know, they, well, you will never work for the BBC again. And I went, oh, my God, you know, career's over. I better go to Hollywood. The rest I, is history. I think it worked out. Mr. Yeah, Zimmer. Right, okay. Um, where were we? Oh, no, we were talking about the, Dune. S- the size and of that, it, yeah. And that, it, it really, you know, here we are. We are the small group of sort of renegades making the story that we as teenagers loved. Mm. You know, and we're making it, and the spirit is the spirit of a teenager with the knowledge of 
people who've been fired by the BBC and <laughs> thought their career was over, who'd fallen on their nose, who'd chuffed their knees, etc., and have the knowledge of how to make a movie. Yeah. You know, but we never stopped having that, that, and I, th- so I there's think, a sort of boyish there's you can you you approach this and you and Denis both loving the book growing up yeah by, by the sound of it you can approach it with a boyish enthusiasm yes, even with and, all that and, learning and here's the thing you know I mean I'm a musician and the operative word in music is play mm. and so that that playfulness that you know is, is part of my job I saw that appear in Denis and and he says he has no musical talent you know, and then, do you see Maestro? You know, yes, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah, film. yeah. You know, and there's that, that fabulous scene where, you know, uh, uh, he conducts Mahler's second yeah. at Eli Cathedral. That's right. And I'm looking at it, and I'm not looking at Bernstein or Bradley Cooper acting as Bernstein. I'm seeing Denis right in amongst us musicians because you Conducting know i'm seeing you first violin and he's the conductor you <laughs> yeah. know he's absolutely the conductor he's absolutely you know part part of the band and yeah. that's how it needs to be that's how it should be you know and so tell us you you love that you love the book fortunately you and denise share many things in common you're good friends but you love the book by the sound of it growing up what was i was what image person, was in your I was head the first i wonder person on it Right. It was right. it was this weird thing. We, 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 we I can't remember why we, we were at Warner Brothers and we were standing on the Warner Brothers lot and we did, I think we were waiting for a car or something. And he very quietly says to me, have I ever heard of a book called Dune? And I think, you know, like these little dogs that get really excited and sort of <laughs> jump up and down. I think I, be, I became one of those. And I think I scared him. He threw you a bone, right? Yeah, I scared him a little bit, um, you know, with my enthusiasm. And, you know, that I really, really, really knew them, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. So, so in fact, we were talking about this earlier. Um, I never, he on purpose never showed me the script because he wanted me to, retain the purity of knowing the book you know and never being influenced by, by yeah you know by, by so you're you're kind of read, you're, you're going back to the original text and yeah, your I'll, ideas yeah then. yeah i was the you know as, as as the pretentious musician would call it the urtext i like yes. that though. i like that yeah. what's um and so so did you react to rushes did you you, you didn't read the script until right at the end of the process because it's a very organic thing isn't it yeah no well the first one you know when we were in the we started we started and then COVID hit Mm. and so suddenly um <laughs> Suddenly things became. Did you have? Did you have too many or not enough ideas in COVID here? I wonder. I oh, expect it's the uh, former. No. All right. So suddenly my studio moved into my my sitting room, and mm. um, which is right next to my daughter's bedroom. And sometimes at like five thirty in the morning, she'd be like coming and going. Daddy, do you think? Do you think you could just play something else and a little quieter? <laughs> I have exams today, you know. But the score is basically my band the band i tour with the band i love the mm. people i so it's not an orchestra obviously not an orchestral mm-hmm. score i always i always thought that was a you know my 13 year old teenage arrogance always went why am i hearing an orchestra when i'm in space right you know yeah. it's like like isn't that isn't that all wrong so we build instruments i mean i have a friend kubrick's got a lot to answer for with choosing uh 
yeah, the the it's blue Danube and you know, and, yeah, yeah, I know, but he, but God, did he give us a gift? Oh yeah, you know, I mean, it's really interesting because obviously, in space, you know, you know in I, space, I, no one can hear you play anything. I know, no, no, <laughs> but but you know, obviously, I thought a lot about Kubrick in two thousand and one, not mm. not so much for this film, but for Interstellar, for instance. Mm -hmm. And actually, you saying this just now at this very moment suddenly makes me go, you know what, what, why, what I think he did, what, why he picked the, that music, because he needed to, to figure out how to show a real human element with it within right. his story. Yeah. Because, I mean, this film, I'll look at, you know, what we did. I mean, we finished the first film and... I just carry on writing, knowing... So I understand. Now, this is great. I love the infectious... Let's call it Hans Zimmer's infectious enthusiasm. <laughs> you can't turn off the tap. I can't turn <laughs> off the tap. I can't turn off the tap. And we weren't greenlit, right? So mm. it's just, it's just, it's just, you know, like tenacity. It's like, okay... So I they know, get that for free, I know, right? I know they're going <laughs> to let us make the next movie. So I kept yeah. on writing. And, and, and as Denis will tell you, like uh, six months in, he's phones me and he goes you know the movie has been out for six months you can stop now and i'm going no 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 and so there's this one piece which was written in that time that i would open our set with when we were touring mm -hmm. so all you know i mean look I, I don't know if you came to and saw us at o, the o2 or you know like people in europe yeah many people in europe heard this piece not knowing what it was because I always had this idea that they'd come and see the movie and they'd go, I felt this once before. Yeah, right. It's, I, I, it's not even like you recognize it, but you'd sort of had that feeling once. You've got before. a sort of strange, yeah, you, there's that thing of um, deja vu before it's yeah, even happened. Exactly. Right? You've got this straight, a muscle memory, you don't know where it comes from. Right. So, so, so you I, built it and they will come, I, essentially. Exactly. So I wanted, to, I, wa I, wanted to play with, I wanted to play with that idea, you mm -hmm. know, and... and, and um, and I mean, this, look, the score is pretty abstract. It's pretty, um, it's pretty abrasive in places. You know, it's it's not cuddly. It's but a, then you suddenly get that moment of very pure and beautiful playing by by my friend Pedro Eustache, mm -hmm. and there's real beauty in that playing. There know? are moments where you can really hear a pin drop or a grain of sand drop on the desert floor, and then there is the way that the music is mixed into the film as well. I it know, is it's beautiful. An organic part yeah. of it. I feel like it doesn't feel like something that is. I feel this with so much of your work, Hans, but this feels absolutely like all the elements were thought of, were conceived together, edited together in a way that is so rare in a, in a movie, I think, that it feels yeah, like. You could, it could almost be a silent film, as in no talking, and the music could do the talking for the well, characters. Well, and, and, and the sound design. I mean, Richard mm. King, who I've done so many Christopher Nolan movies with, you know, so Richard and I don't have to discuss. We send each other things, you know, <laughs> so he knows what I'm doing or what frequency spectrum I'm yeah. sort of occupying or vice versa, you know. You know, if if I know he's going to be rumbling around, I'm not going to be rumbling around as well. You know. So you do something. You do something. You know, a different up, pitch, up, a different tone. High. Yes, absolutely, yeah. exactly. And the the whole idea, especially in movies like this, we are word uh, world building. Mm. So you know, there's nothing there, you know, before we start. So it's very important that we sonically give you. It's not just about pretty tunes. It's about building 
the sonic landscape that, mm-hmm. that this, these characters inherit, inhabit. And it's part of the, this world is made of shifting sand, but the, the musical world is, feels like a castle built on, on rock. You know, it does. It feels like something that's ineluctable and that feels like something that's built to last. I was, I'm interested to know, knowing that you and Denis are friends now, what language you use, I mean, musical language, what, whether you use adjectives to talk about the music you're making or whether you only talk in terms of visuals and you send him music, he sends you visuals. Uh, no, we don't or do you send. go, I want this to be a little bit more romantic, I want this to be abrasive. Do you, how do you, what, no, what language do you send. use? we don't send. We don't send. You know, if I've written something, you know, the first time he hears it is in the same room with me mm. and usually with Joe Walker as well yeah. and... and usually a bunch of musicians, you know, that played on it. Actually, there's a very easy way to describe it, which is funny enough, is not music. You know the voice at the very beginning of the film, mm-hmm. the Sadukar yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. I had this idea, and I was trying to describe to um, Denis the sound I was hearing for this voice, etc. you know, and the more I was talking about it, the more I saw his face go blank, and the more <laughs> I realized that words are not the way to do it, you know, and music and sound, etc., are things that you need to, you just need to do it, and you just yeah. need to experience it. So I did this thing as an experiment, you know, and then, and that triggered in Denis, it's not my idea, oh, that's a cool way to start the movie. You yeah. Know? But it's and it's immediately a sound world rather than a visual world. Absolutely. There is it's immediate. Yeah, it, that's yeah, yeah. It's very rare. It's, it's a, and a it's kind of courageous really directorial weird. decision, right? But is it? Because here's the thing: people would say it maybe is, but you're right. Many many years ago, many years ago, um, <laughs> when I really didn't know what I was doing, um, I did a did a small cartoon that's... called The Lion King. Um, I've never heard of it. Never heard of it. Okay. But well, <laughs> the thing about it is, it start. I, I, and I was, I didn't want to do a cartoon. I didn't want to do fairy tale princesses, or I didn't want to do anything. And I was certainly did not want to do a musical or anything mm. like this. But what I, what I realized is because I was sort of fighting against the idea of doing it. Um, I did. I did it, by the way, because my daughter at that time was six years old, and I'd never been able to take her to a premiere. You know, which is a perfectly legitimate reason to go. <laughs> I, and like do that. Like that, I like right? that. I like that. There's ways to open those doors. I know, there? but 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 it. But I wanted to do something that absolutely said this is not your normal Disney movie, mm-hmm. and so to have that African mm. voice of my friend Lebo Moraki, right at the beginning, you know, it instantly said, "Hang on, this isn't you know your fairy tale Disney cartoon. Mm-hmm. This is something completely different." And it sort of gives you, a, you know, it, it instantly opens the door and it says, it's going to be different, but it's going to be an adventure and just come along, come along for the journey. Yeah, I felt that felt like we, it was saying this isn't necessarily a true story, but it's a real story. Exactly. We're, in, we're, we're somewhere in the world. Yeah. We're not in yeah, some, yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. We're not in Tinseltown yeah. somehow. It's wonderful. For, for, for your work on June... Do you start with motifs? Do you start? What are the building blocks? Is it? Do you need a motif? Do you need a sort of spine to work? There are two things which are happening simultaneously. It's like um, actually there are three things that happen simultaneously. Mm-hmm. There's a whole uh, there, 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 there's an army being sent out with me going. You know, I want to have an instrument being built that is 
you know, um, 20 foot long with, with steel strings and made out of da 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 and, and you know, somebody, yeah. you know, they're, they're crazy people building fabulous, wonderful things. Um, so because, I like the way that you can commission instruments as part of this process, well, it's not a, just it's to make important. the music. Yeah, no, yeah, no, it's yeah. important. So, and then my background really is, you know, being I, I used to be like one of the sort of session guys here in London, just the synthesizer guy. So so I sit there and I make I make a whole load of sounds, mm -hmm. and I and I get my musicians as well. I mean, I say to Pedro, my flautist, you know, mm -hmm. can you do the do the whistling of wind through sand but make it so that i can play a tune with it you know <laughs> um so so there's that there's you know uh, okay let me explain it in a different way it's a <laughs> that was going well no by but, the way. but hang on wait you know it's, i just suddenly thought what it's like it's like you got guests coming around at eight o'clock and you're going to cook dinner for them. So you go out and you shop and you go, oh, look, fresh carrots. Oh, this look, beautiful new tomatoes and whatever. And you bring all that home and you peel away and you chop away and it's 10 to 8 and you throw it all in a pot and, you know, there's this wonderful fresh meal. Mm -hmm. It's not dissimilar. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sort of, you know, get the right ingredients. And while you get the right ingredients, you it, it, it leads you to what you're going to write. It leads you to the motifs. It leads you to the, you think, th you think through what's the style, what's the sonic, everything of this. And these things, your, your, your ingredients are chords and or instruments well instruments or... and it's tunes it's it's fragments of tunes it's motifs it's it's uh um and sometimes it's like silence yeah you know? well that's kind of have some silence because the next thing some palate cleansing silence yes and with the next thing i'm just gonna tear your head off <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah happily so but, and one last one for you hans you mentioned sort of the being in the moment and being at the premiere last night and the, the sort of reality of that and the sort of scale of that do you like this moment once the film is out um and it's or it's coming out do you like talking about it do you like talking about your work and being i feel like you like being involved as part of this broader filmic family i suppose that's nice to, yes well, well there's 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 a because you're good at talking about it <laughs> well maybe maybe but no, look at the end of the day, this conversation could be very short because it's very simple. What I do, I do, and I, I try to do my best because I know people work hard and if the weekend comes and they put their hard-earned money down to go and see our movie, I better deliver the goods. And that's who I write for. It's, you know, it's the audience. Um, and just to give somebody... In this case, 166 minutes, because I know exactly how long this movie is. <laughs> 166 minutes of sort of shared dreaming, mm. as you know, maybe Chris Nolan would say. Um, that's a great job to have. Do you mean? It, I, I, I can still be playful, and at the same time, I don't know. It's I love what I do. We salute you. Thank you. Hans Zimmer, thank you very much indeed. Don't salute too much. <laughs> <laughs>
Now, as I mentioned in my introduction, the soundtrack is one epic part of a truly monumental production. To round out this week's show, I wanted to hear what film critic and Monocle on Culture friend of the show, Leila Latif, had to say about the film's release. And Leila joins us on the line now. Leila, lovely to have you on the programme as well. First things first, how does the esteemed Denis Villeneuve bring Dune Part 2 on from the first movie? It's very much a part two, isn't it? We start where we left off. We're continuing the story. And I think it'll be very interesting at some later date to watch this as a whole piece. But yeah, the film is both bigger and smaller than its predecessor. I mean, we have the sandworms doing much more. We're introduced to much more of Arrakis. We get to go and see the world of the Harkonnens. We meet the emperor who is only alluded to in this. But there's something that happens a little bit like what has happened with the more recent Star Wars installations where every character ends up so interconnected that what I felt in the first one felt like an intergalactic battle for power ends up like a dispute with which feels like a few dozen people. (laughs) So it starts off as an intergalactic space battle and it ends up as a kind of knife fight in an alleyway. An alleyway with largesse, though, all of its own, right? We are <laughs> the canvas is still pretty big for episode two. Yeah, no, it is absolutely gorgeous. It's beautifully made. Denis Villeneuve is not someone that is capable of making a bad film, I think. Yeah, I do think that in some ways he has a lot more fun with this one. Javier Bardem's character is absolutely hilarious. And as someone who's a huge fan of Rebecca Ferguson's, who is, you know, a very conventionally beautiful leading woman, but Ed's as a person is also quite eccentric it was just really fun to watch her play a complete weirdo i feel like rebecca ferguson (laughs) is a character actress within a sort of leading woman's frame and she just goes for the fully deranged with lady jessica and every time that she came back onto screen i kind of wanted to punch the air yeah so she is lady jessica who is becoming more powerful and perhaps all powerful in this order of holy women the benny jesuit she's having quite a lot of fun with as you say going mad getting bad and speaking in tongues and ventriloquizing the voice and ambitions of her unborn baby as well right so (laughs) she's doing quite a lot she's speaking in more than just two tongues I mean, having read the Dune books, I do think that the introduction to them is the most conservative part. And then he's taken on quite the challenge with adapting things that are going to get very, very weird very quickly. I mean, like the film, I think, really does speak to his intention for there to be the next book adapted as well. And uh, yeah, I hope he does it because that's even odder. And if we kind of get more Rebecca Ferguson having debates with her unborn child great (laughs) (laughs) and this movie also sets up a duel really between Paul Atreides Timothy Chalamet who seems to be filling out his spacesuit or his sand suit a little bit more handsomely than even in episode one and Fade Rother who's kind of his arch nemesis maybe they're related played by an almost unimaginably disguised Austin Butler last scene not last scene perhaps but who made a good Elvis and here he is as a, an evil hairless wonder uh, as Fade Rother in June part two you obviously have seen this one coming because you a scholar of the books, Leila. Does this feel like a satisfying, well, yeah, knife fight in a sandy alley, This, the, these two? 
The fight itself, I would say not particularly, but I still think there was so much to love about it. I was kind of so involved with Rebecca Ferguson's camp that every time Austin Butler came on screen, I would think of Elvis and want her to say, use the voice. (laughs) (laughs) And he'd sort of curl his lip and love her tender or something. Yeah, he doesn't quite know which would be distracting. (laughs) Fair enough. But um, I really liked getting into more of the Harkonnens. I thought he was really great in the role because they've got this weird commitment to being like kinky they're kind of fascist but s&m fascists in a way that he seems to like really really embrace which i thought was great fun i didn't really think that the battle between the two of them had that much weight to it because we've essentially spent at this point, what, four and a half hours, establishing that Timothy Chalamet is a brilliant and incredibly skilled fighter. He's only gotten better over the course of this film. And we only really see Austin Butler fighting people that have either been drugged or have been starved and tortured for like a very long time. So I didn't really buy him as being, oh, what a great challenge to Timothy's Paul Atreides because, yeah, I sort of really bought him as being not terribly good. (laughs) <laughs> but he brings a sort of lip-licking and slightly lascivious pornographic violence to this, doesn't he? As you say, he's set up in this sort of gladiatorial coliseum sense, isn't he? And he's got some duffers to fight. And then some of his own barons and the sort of Harkonnen royalty, that he, uh, aristocracy that he has to fight. He also has got a harem of equally hairless women that feed on the blood of his victims by the look of it as well. So he's a busy boy. These kinky fascists have got to be in more than one place at once, Leila, surely. I mean, I'm not a skilled fighter and I can imagine that the element of surprise is key and maybe arriving into battle super kinky is what's going to throw your opponent off their guard and that is how you ultimately win. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It's worth a shot. I think this has been an underexplored line of inquiry and uh, reviews of this film. So I'm glad we're doing it some justice finally. Now, this show, obviously, we kicked off the first 20 minutes of this show, Leila, by speaking to Hans Zimmer. I mean, it struck me that his sort of huge, magisterial, rumbling, rambunctious score matches the size and scale of the movie itself. What about for you? I mean, the seats were practically moving in the screening that I attended. Absolutely. I think he captures the like sound of the desert so beautifully in this. I think what Hans Zimmer kind of does peerlessly is bringing a sense of scale and grandeur in his music, which makes you, even when you're sort of perhaps not entirely buying what is on screen, he gives it such a weight with his score, gives it the drama. You can't help but be moved and invested in what you're seeing. And, you know, an incredible career and one that is still doing career best work, I think, in this film. Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful stuff. This is often overplayed by people that talk about the composition for films, but it really does feel like a character in and of itself. It feels like the action on screen is indivisible from the music and vice versa, that they were realised at the same time in the same room kind of thing. And I think he worked very closely with Denis Villeneuve, the director, on that as well. I mean, that's my take on it. Could you see any of the stitching, any of the seams fraying on the uh, <laughs> the director-composer fix up there? Not really. The sort of base of it all works so well for me. I mean, it's I suppose it's that thing where it's like, 
Denis Villeneuve is such a grand director. There are so many incredible scenes with like these giant sandworms or looking across all these giant battles. Then to have that Zimmer score, like you said, making you vibrate in your seat, it felt like a perfect marriage to me. Beautiful. Leila, thank you for your tips on how to approach a knife fight. Be weird and lascivious and lick your lips, but thank you for your wit and wisdom on June 2. Thank you very much. And that is all for this week. My thanks to Hans Zimmer and to Leila Latif. June Part 2 will be released in cinemas and IMAX on the 1st of March this year. Monocle on Culture is produced by Sophie Monaghan-Coombs and Steph Chungu, and Steph also edits the show. We will all be back at the same time next week, but until then, from me, Robert Bounds, thanks for tuning in. (laughs) Thank you.